fellowship with my pillow. In fact, let's go ahead and get a nap report. What do you say? Who was able to take a nap this afternoon? Would you raise your hand? Okay, I like to do that with Caldwell Sr. because then I know where the grumpy people in the crowd are. And uh, it's the folks that didn't get a nap that are the grumpy ones. But uh, I got to take a good nap this afternoon. Been pushing it a little bit hard. And uh, the preacher was so so gracious in allowing me to uh, get back to the room right away and get some rest. And I'm looking forward in fellowshipping with him tonight. Myriad of things that I appreciate about Brother and Sister Caldwell and the Caldwell family. But the thing that uh, comes to my mind immediately when I think about them is their sweet spirit. You know, uh, a good stand is always complemented by a good spirit. Can a brother get a witness? And uh, some would have us believe that to be used of God, that you have to be as mean (laughs) as a junkyard dog with rabies. But uh, that is not the case. You can have a good spirit. You can have a good uh, attitude. You can have a good demeanor. And I believe it is a compliment, a compliment. I believe it is a compliment to a good stand to have a good spirit. I had a preacher with the Caldwell recently introduced me and uh, <clears throat> two kinds of introductions I get as an evangelist. I get really good introductions and well there's another kind of introductions that I get. But uh, I got an introduction that was interesting the other night and a preacher said when introducing me, I quote, out of the pulpit Dr. Hamlin is everybody's friend. In the pulpit he's nobody's friend. And I just think a good stand, <coughs> a good stand is so very, very, very important. By the way, that was funnier than you're letting on. <laughs> really, it was. That was funnier than you're letting on. But I appreciate Brother Caldwell and the little bit of time already that I've got to uh, spend with him. Uh, Book of Psalms, chapter 85. As you're turning there, <coughs> I, like many of you, have been fighting uh, the bubonic plague. I appreciate uh, the youth uh, pastor who's been under the weather. He, he gave me an elbow check when he was coming in. We played a little bit of hockey during the fellowship time. But uh, as you're turning to Psalm chapter number 85, preacher asked me if I'd make mention of our book table. And uh, there's a number of things, number of things on the table that I believe would be a help to you. Uh, I've never done this, but in my last three meetings normally are preaching CDs. Uh, normally they go for uh, $5 a piece. Now, uh, <clears throat> that's what they normally go for. I, I don't even know. What, what's a pack of cigarettes today? Can somebody? Oh, you're a smart crowd. You, you know not to answer that one. A preacher looked at his mom to see if she knew what the answer was to, to that question. Not really. But uh, I, I, she knows. Her preacher said, she, you're a brave soul. You're, she's sitting behind you, going to pop you with a hymn book and Jesus name but uh, I guess it'd be cheaper I don't I don't know cheaper than a, a, a pack of cigarettes uh, they used to go for five dollars and uh, last three meetings I just never done it before may not even do it again but uh, in this meeting I have discounted them and uh, they're they're three dollars a piece and I have a preaching CD in my hand tonight just randomly grabbed one why I love the church and uh, I've carried this on my book table forever. 
In fact, this message was preached uh, on March 2nd, this, this month, 2005. And so uh, that's a little bit almost, uh, I think, about two weeks from me an antique. But uh, why I love the church. And normally it's $5. If you were to go to the website and order it from the website, it would be $5, uh, shipping and handling. And you have to wait a couple days till my office got it out to you. But for $3, you can pick it up right at the book table. And uh, I've got a number of messages that I just uh, I grabbed a stack, put them in the book bag, brought them with me. And uh, let me tell you how this works now. We're not a bank. I like to tell people all the time we're not a bank. So if you come to the book table and you give me $5, I'm going to say thank you and give you a preaching CD. <laughs> we don't make change at the book table. It's not a bank. If you give me $10, man, I'm going to shake your hand and say thank you, give you a preaching CD. If you give me $100, oh, I'm coming home with you. I'm going to live in your basement and thank you and give you a preaching CD. But they're $3 a piece and we'll run that special and you can grab anyone you want for $3. Also on the book table, brand new, as we marked uh, last year, our 40th year, four decades in, full-time evangelism, is the book of sermons without fear or favor. And uh, my intimate friend, Dr. Shelton Smith, the editor of The Sword of the Lord, said that we need to have a book of sermons for your 40th anniversary. And so here are sermons like, uh, it's not faith unless you take it for a walk. Will somebody please pass the bread? My three fears as a fundamentalist were old-time Christianity takes you today, dynamics of a difference maker, 15 signature sermons in without fear or favor. And uh, most of these have either appeared on the front page of the Sword of the Lord or uh, I've preached them in the National Sword of the Lord Conference in uh, North Carolina, uh, Walkertown, North Carolina, as I have the privilege of preaching every year. Transcribers of the Sword of the Lord are always true to my preaching style. And if you've heard me preach, when you read without fear or favor, you can hear me preach. Now, uh, here's the neat thing about, about this book. When I started preaching and started on the Revival Road, Brother Caldwell, 40 years ago, there was an expression we used for preachers that just, uh, well, let it rip tater chip. Preachers that uh, would uh, kick you down the hall and nail you to the wall. Preachers that would sit in your lap and preach up your nose hole in Jesus' name. There was a <laughs> phrase that was used for that kind of preaching that is almost extinct. And the phrase was, he preaches without fear or favor. We used to hear that kind of preaching years ago. And so that's uh, uh, the title of the book. And uh, it is in commemoration uh, to our recent uh, 40th anniversary on the Revival Road. Brand new, just not even two months old, is the book from the Sword of the Lord entitled Ask the Evangelist. And for those of you that are on social media, you might remember that in 2018, from March of 2018 till March of 2019, last year, I ran on Wednesdays a a uh, section or a uh, topic on my social media platform, uh, a uh, added uh, feature, if you will, 
entitled uh, Ask the Evangelist. And uh, folks would email questions, they would uh, text me questions, they would uh, uh, send a direct message on social media. And I took a whole year, and on Wednesdays, I would answer three questions every Wednesday. And here is uh, that whole year of questions. And uh, when I was doing it, I knew that uh, the Sword of the Lord was going to publish it. And uh, here it is, just as it appeared on my social media platform. And so uh, we've taken it and uh, divided it into chapters. And uh, there are chapters like uh, My Ministry, uh, Men of God, Motivation. You know, just, just chapter 4, Motivation. I tell you what, would be worth what you'd pay for it. As I deal with things that ought to uh, <coughs> motivate us in the work of the Lord. Things like, uh, oh, mistakes. I have a whole chapter that I just deal with mistakes. And uh, you can get it just uh, as it appeared uh, on my uh, social media platform for over a year. And as you're turning into Psalm chapter 85, let me make mention of one more uh, book that's on the book table that's new as well, and that is the devotional Neology. You've heard about theology, the study of nature, the nature of God, but this is uh, Neology, the study of the nature of prayer, and uh, a 31-day devotional uh, that you can take and use, and it will absolutely, the goal is to take all of our prayer lives to a new level. Psalm chapter 85 and verse number 6, and I would invite you <clears throat> to stand with me as I read the Word of God. Psalm chapter 85 and verse number 6. Uh, back in uh, January of last year, uh, I uh, was flying to uh, Memphis late on a Saturday night. And uh, I got to my plane seat and uh, I got uh, situated, I believe it was uh, that night, seat uh, 3 I believe it was seat 3B, it was a window seat. And uh, late that Saturday night, I got to my seat, I got the seat belt cinched around my waist, I uh, sat down, and I took out a card case that I uh, carry on my person all the time. Uh, I use it to jot down thoughts, uh, outlines, uh, things to do, phone calls that I need to return. I carry it with me all the time, and at night, uh, I put it by the side of my bed if I'm at home, or... I put it on the nightstand, the motel, wherever I'm preaching at. And uh, I took out that 3 by 5 card. I took out a pen. And uh, in that seat, I scratched down on the top why I want far-reaching revival. I just put on the top five reasons I want far-reaching revival. And then I put the 3 by 5 card case now. And then when the plane landed in uh, Memphis, after that two-hour and uh, 20 seven-minute flight, I had what I'm going to try to give to you tonight. Psalm chapter 85 and verse number 6. I've given you enough time to find it that if you do not uh, know where Psalm 85, 6 is, if you haven't found it yet, then wherever you are in that hymn book, just stop in that hymn book and pretend that you're at... That too was funnier than you're letting on. Pretend that you're at Psalm 85, 6. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? And for a few moments, I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, five reasons why I want far-reaching revival. 
Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this privilege to stand behind the sacred desk to preach the Word of God. If in my heart I want to be a blessing, but the only way that I can be is if you hide me behind the cross and fill me with the Spirit. Place a hedge around this great church by the blood of Christ to keep the devil and his demons from hindering this service. Save the sinner and stir the saint. Heavenly Father, for all that you'll do in our midst and even in our hearts tonight, we will be careful to give you all the praise and honor and glory. Bless and protect my precious family as I am away. Give us fresh, warm bread from the oven of heaven to feed from tonight. Lord, I'd request, oh, how I would request that you'd clothe me in my calling. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. For 40 years, this evangelist has given both his energy and his effort to be an eyewitness of an epic supernatural event, preaching at least once a day every calendar year, traveling around the clock, and living out of a suitcase are all the visible evidences that this isn't a passing fancy. Not to just read about a mighty move of God in the past, but to reach one in the present, in the present has been the meaningful fuel that has been what the engine of this ministry has managed to their run on for many decades. Five reasons I want far-reaching revival. In the book of Psalms, chapter 85, we find the unknown psalmist's prayer for revival. Now let me just say in passing that there are places, there uh, are portions of the Bible where we are allowed to there peek in to the prayer life of an individual. And this is one of those places, this is one of those portions for here the psalmist gives us his prayer for revival. Now this chapter could be easily or effortlessly outlined like this. There is uh, the restoration, verses 1 through 3. There is the revival, verses 4 through 7. And then there is the responsibility, verses uh, 8 through uh, uh, 13. It is while the unmentioned psalmist is dealing under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit with the revival that a person sees one's personal reason uh, for more than a surface, but for the call, well, a sweeping move of God. Verse 6, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? G. Campbell Morgan once wrote, <coughs> that great uh, Bible student, about our text, yet uh, the imperfection of their loyalty creates the long discipline of sorrow and shame, and the prayer is that God will turn the people to 
himself. The sister verse of Psalm 85, 6 is Habakkuk 3, 2. Now every verse in the Bible has what I call a sister verse, and that sister verse throws more light upon the verse that you're musing, meditating, or making a study of. Again, the sister verse of Psalm 85, 6 is Habakkuk 3, 2. O Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. Never forget my and yours prayers, uh, petitions, uh, their persistence uh, uh, for revival just may be the vehicle that God will use to bring a powerful revival. Now, if you miss everything that I preach tonight, I pray that you would not miss that. And it even bears repeating yours and mine, prayers, uh, pleas, and petitions for revival just may be the vehicle that God will use to bring a powerful revival. Friend, you and I, those of us that are saved ought to have some personal grounds for heaven to grant us a significant spiritual awakening. Now quickly tonight, I want to give you five reasons. Just as I wrote them down on that 3 by 5 card flying on a Saturday night back in January uh, from uh, Detroit uh, to Memphis, five reasons I want far-reaching revival. You may want to take out a pencil and somewhere in your Bibles scratch these things down, but my how it would be far better if God were to take an eternal pen and write these things upon my heart and upon your heart as well. Quickly, let's notice it tonight. Number one, I want my God to send it. Psalm, or rather Isaiah 64, 1, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. A reason why I want far-reaching revival is because I want my God to send it. In Isaiah 64.1, the prophet Isaiah tells us that God's divine intervention is the powerful result of a direct invitation. No single Christian or single church should ever expect God to move in a mighty way when they don't expect Him or they anticipate Him if He doesn't. The hymn writer must have had this same uh, uh, truth upon his heart when he penned, uh, There shall be showers of blessing. Send them upon us, O Lord. Grant to us now a refreshing Come and now honor thy word. Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. Charles Adam Spurgeon once said, We have felt in our souls, not that we may have revival, but we must have it. He went on to state, We must draw near <coughs> to the angel and wrestle afresh with this determination that we will not let him go unless he should bless us. Friend, you and I ought to know that my personal grounds for heaven granting a significant spiritual awakening is I want my God 
to send it. The Bible says in Psalm 86, 17, show me a token. Now that word token, Brother Caldwell, is an interesting word because that word token simply means evidence. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast hope in me and comforted me. Breaking news. When the river of revival uh, runs through a church uh, and a community, we won't be bragging on the evangelist, boasting on the crowds uh, that attended the services, or bloviating on the ways we marketed the meeting, but uh, on our bellies uh, shouting what they do around the throne in glory. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 5, 12. For a short while, before Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman passed away, he was addressing a large gathering of preachers. And Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman was a great evangelist of yesteryear. And as he was addressing uh, this gathering of preachers, he said, we have reached the place where one man plays a handsaw Another gives a life story, gathering a big crowd, and we call that revival. No, that's not revival, said Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman. That is a farce. Don't get mad at Dr. Chapman. I didn't say it. I'm just telling you what he said. Oh, listen, a reason that I want far-reaching revival, I want my God to send it. Number two, let me hasten I want my generation to seek it. Psalm 80, 19, turn us again. O Lord of hosts, cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. A reason why I want far-reaching revival is because I want my generation to seek it. In Psalm 80 and 19, the psalmist Asaph tells us that just one smile from the face of omnipotence can change the whole chosen nation of Israel. But I want uh, the small pronoun us uh, in this passage to deal with an entire age group, mine, which are called baby boomers. Now, Baby boomers are born between 1944 and uh, 1964. So if you're a baby boomer, keep in mind 1944 to 1964, if you're a baby boomer like me, would you just lift your hand right now if you're a baby boomer? All right, thank you. They put them down. Baby boomers are responsible. That's the age group of the Caldwell Senior uh, that has uh, their, uh, caused the end of polio in beehive hairdos. <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to the revival meeting tonight? It is the baby boomers uh, that have caused the end of polio and the beehive hairdo and the beginning of mobile phones, cell phones, and the Beatles. Beatles should be stepped on and never allowed to sing. Say amen right there. Wouldn't it be wonderful if a real revival, Brother Caldwell, was added to what baby boomers, that generation, is responsible for? Friend, you and I ought to know that personal grounds for heaven granting my personal grounds, a significant spiritual awakening, is I want my generation 
to seek it. Mark it down. It would be a tragedy if the next generation had to skip our generation in telling their children and their grandchildren about the last great revivals. Now there are several things that baby boomers can do and everyone can do them, but I want my generation to seek it. There are several things that, that baby boomers can do to their uh, uh, pursue a powerful move of God. First of all, get over ourselves. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. A thing uh, that uh, baby boomers can do uh, to their pursue a powerful move of God is get over ourselves. Me without God is nothing. God without me is still God. You know, I think we ought to remind ourselves uh, every once in a while that uh, it wasn't God that got the best end of the deal when I got saved. It was me. Hello? I said that the other night with Caldwell Sr. I was preaching and I said hello and a lady in the back row said goodbye and got up and walked out. Oh yeah. I couldn't believe Mrs. Hamlin did that to me. I couldn't believe <laughs> But I think every once in a while we ought to remind ourselves that it wasn't God that got the best end of the deal when we got saved. It was us. And I, a thing we can do, a thing that we can do, my generation and any generation for that matter, to pursue a, a powerful move of God is simply get over ourselves. It's interesting. The older I get, I tell stories about playing high school and basketball and uh, playing basketball, basketball rather in high school, and, and it's amazing. The older I get, the better the stories are. Man, I remember when I was in high school and graduated, uh, played varsity basketball at my graduation. <coughs> they had a ceremony in the gymnasium, and I recall how they took my number. I was number eleven. Always have been uh, a, a Detroit Pistons. Uh, bad boy fan and uh, that was the number Isaiah Thomas wore and I played point guard just like Isaiah Thomas and uh, I remember after I graduated we went to the gymnasium for a special ceremony and how they retired my number at the inner city Christian high school and uh, they took it and they raised it to the rafter and you could go there tonight and see my number number 11 uh, in the rafters no that's true it's a great story but none of it's true we ought to get over ourselves. Boy, you're getting ready to take a field trip to the inner city Christian high school in Allen Park to find that number 11 basketball number in the grandstand or in the rafters. We ought to just simply get over ourselves. We're not all that in a bag of flaming Hot Cheetos. Secondly, get obviously hungry. Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, uh, for they shall be filled. Uh, a thing uh, uh, that baby boomers can do to pursue a powerful move of God is get obviously hungry. A take it or leave it mindset never belongs to the believer that experiences revival. Get obviously hungry. Thirdly, get over our offenses. Mark eleven twenty five. 25, when you stand praying, forgive. 
if you have ought against any, that your Father uh, also, which is in heaven, may forgive you uh, your trespasses, a thing that a a baby boomer can do, for that matter, anybody can do, to pursue a powerful move of God is get over our offenses. Sure, that little boy in grade school shouldn't have pulled your ponytail, but the fact that 30 years later you haven't gotten past it is the reason why we don't have powerful revival in our local church. You say, well, why would you make such an accusation that I haven't gotten past it? Because I've been to your Facebook page. Don't bow your head, I'm not closing in prayer. I've been to your Facebook page. By the way, what do we do? How do we complain before social media came along? <laughs> you see, things that happened 30 years ago, you're still complaining about. Things that happened 30 years ago, you're still uh, bitter about. Things that happened 30 years ago, you still uh, have to uh, complain about. It only goes to show that you have not gotten over it. You say, but Dr. Hamlin, I've been mistreated. That is absolutely humorous. I didn't come into this world, uh, but when I was here five minutes uh, and a complete stranger hung me upside down and slapped me for no apparent reason, I came into the world mistreated. <laughs> so what you need to do is suck it up buttercup. What you need to do is build a bridge and get over it. All that every baby boomer and every believer for that matter in this service would realize the things that they can do to pursue a powerful move of God, get over ourselves, get obviously hungry, and get over our offenses. The great American, one of the founding fathers of our nation, Benjamin Franklin, once said, doing an injury puts you below your enemy. Revenging one makes you but even with him. Forgiving it sets you above him. I don't know, Brother Caldwell, uh, if uh, it puts us above anyone, but I do know that forgiveness uh, lifts us up closer to having revival. Number three, I want my grandchildren to see it. Psalm 145, for one generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. A reason <coughs> why I want a far-reaching revival is because I want my grandchildren to see it. In the Psalm 145, 4, the psalmist David tells us that the older generation, grandparents uh, that know the Lord, are to pass down to the younger generation, grandchildren that know the Lord, the divine demonstrations of God. That means... On a strictly personal note, the four people on this planet, Madison, Mason, Evan, and Brooklyn, who call me Papa, ought to be able to spiritually observe things uh, that make the headlines uh, and the history books of heaven. Friend, you and I ought to know uh, that my personal grounds for heaven uh, granting uh, a significant spiritual awakening is I want my grandchildren to see it. Back in August of last year, 2019, I was holding a revival meeting in an outside tabernacle at our home church, the Charity Baptist Church in Brownstown, Michigan. After preaching a Sunday morning afternoon service, I'd preach Sunday morning, and then in the afternoon service, 
uh, on the sin that's got to go, if revival is going to come, I noticed that during the invitation of the Caldwell, our then nine-year-old granddaughter, Madison, had raised her hand that she wanted to see revival in her heart that week. She was on the front row. After that afternoon service, we went into the auditorium. We had a meal after the morning service, and then we had the afternoon service. And uh, after that afternoon service, we went back into the auditorium. And that uh, same day, uh, I had uh, the privilege of baptizing her five-year-old brother, who happens to be our grandson, Mason. Whoop! So in the same day, I saw where a nine-year-old granddaughter on the front row would raise her hand and say, I want God to send revival in my heart. And I there had uh, the privilege of uh, not only preaching, but also uh, performing the baptism uh, of her brother, uh, our other grandson. What I'm trying to say is, I don't want uh, uh, my generation to come and my generation to go, and I don't want your generation to come and your generation to go, but what our grandchildren, we've got grandparents in this service tonight, and don't you want revival for them? I want my grandchildren to see it. Number four, I want my grandstand to shout it. Hebrews 12, 1, wherefore seen, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. A reason why I want uh, revival, a reason why uh, that uh, I want far-reaching revival is because I want my grandstand to shout it. In Hebrews 12, 1, the Apostle Paul tells us that the Christian uh, is uh, in a great spiritual race and there is a sizable gathering of those in glory who are spectators. Yesterday afternoon, my intimate friend, Dr. Shelton Smith, called me. As we were fellowshipping, he asked me where I was going to be this weekend and where I was going to be in revival. And I said, I'm going to be in Martinsburg, West Virginia, the Faith Baptist Church. And he said, who's the preacher there? And I said to Dr. Smith, uh, uh, Brother Caldwell is the preacher there. And he said, uh, hey, he said, I knew a preacher by the name of Caldwell. He said, in fact, I preached for him a whole lot. He wasn't too far from Westminster. And he said, I wonder if, if the preacher that you're going to be with, if that was his grandfather. I said, well, I'll find out. And uh, your pastor picked me up and we were fellowshipping a little bit. Before I could get to that question, he brought his grandfather up. And I said, now, your grandfather, he had the same last name as you did? He said, yes, sir. I said, that's amazing. I said, I had Dr. Shelton Smith call me uh, just uh, today, ask me where I was going to be in a revival meeting, where I was preaching this next week. I had mentioned that to him, and I told him your name, and he said that he had a friend uh, who pastored not too far uh, from Westminster, Maryland, that he preached for many, many, many times, and it happened to be a Caldwell, and he said, I bet that's your preacher that you're preaching for, his grandfather. I said that, say this, over in heaven, in the grandstand is Brother Caldwell's grandfather. Brother Caldwell's father in the grandstand. I've got, I've got family that are there. I've got a mentor, Dr. Tom Malone Sr. 
I don't ever mention this much, but I don't ever stand to preach since this home going. Uh, Brother Caldwell, in January 7, 2007, uh, I never stand to preach, but what I take a moment and glance at the flyleaf of my Bible to see a picture of my mentor, Dr. Tom Malone Sr., who came one night unannounced to hear me preach uh, in a revival meeting. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying that I have a grandstand over there, and in that grandstand is family. In that grandstand uh, is a mentor. In that grandstand are heroes. One of my heroes, Dr. Carl Hatch. Now, if you happen to have a problem with Dr. Hatch witnessed, best thing you can do is keep that to yourself. Because if you come to the book table, and let me just say, I don't think I have to say it here, but every once in a while I like to mention we do not argue at the book table, we buy books at the book table. And if you come to argue at the book table, congratulations, you've just bought everything at the book table. And I always raise the price for people like that. But I think about Dr. Carl Hatch. You may not like the way he witnessed, but I like the way Carl Hatch witnessed better than the way you don't say amen right there. I've got, I've got heroes over there. I've got family over there. I've got mentors over there. Brother Caldwell, you do as well. Evangelist Oliver B. Green once said about this scene in the Scriptures, many Bible scholars believe that this great cloud of witnesses is composed of those who have gone on before us, who sit in uh, the heavenly stadium and behold us, oh my, as we run the Christian race. Friend, you and I ought to know that my personal grounds for heaven granting a significant spiritual awakening is I want my grandstand to shout it. The bleacher creatures are a group of fans in the New York Yankees who are known for their strict allegiance to the team and their merciless attitude of opposing fans. A prominent aspect of the bleacher creatures is their use of chants and songs. Uh, for the last two decades, the original Yankee Stadium, the creatures occupied sections 37 and 39 of the bleachers. By the way, let me interject that uh, there was never any liquor allowed, allowed in that section of the stands. <coughs> By the way, there's another place where there's no liquor allowed in that grandstand either. In the grandstand of heaven, there's, there's not even cough medicine up there. Say amen. But in that section, 37 and 39, in the original Yankee Stadium is where they would put the bleacher creatures. In 2009, when the Yankees' new stadium was built, they were relocated and currently sit in section 203 of the right field bleachers. Bleacher creatures. Wouldn't it be something? If in that heavenly section where John R. Rice, Bob Jones Sr., Mays Jackson, and Tom Malone sit, were all on their feet high-fiving one another and rejoicing in the revival we're experiencing in our Christian lives and in our local churches. You see, a reason that I want far-reaching revival, I want my grandstand to shout it. Number five, and last of all, my time is gone. Not only I want my God to send it, and I want my generation to seek it. 
and I want my grandchildren to see it, and I want my grandstand to shout it. But number five, and last of all, I want my great country to sense it. Second Chronicles 7, 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. A reason why I want far-reaching revival is because I want my country to sense it. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. The wise man Solomon tells us that not only a personal but also a national mighty move of God is both needed and possible. This land that I love doesn't have to be known for booze but Bibles. Boy, I'd like to be president for a day. I wouldn't even want four whole terms. I, I wouldn't even run for re-election. I'd like to be president for a day. And if I was president for a day, I'll tell you what I would do. I would there pass a law that on every can of beer, every bottle of wine, every, uh, uh, bottle, every bottle of whiskey, every jug of wine, e even on uh, NyQuil, I, I would put a skull and crossbones because it's poison. This land that I love doesn't have to be known for booze, but Bibles. This land that I love doesn't have to be known for immorality, but integrity. This land that I love doesn't have to be known for homosexuality, but holiness. Let me pause for station identification. You realize that during this next presidential election, currently there is a man that is running for the office of president the highest office in our land who has a husband. Now I said a man who has a husband. Uh, the Bible uh, calls that uh, uh, an abomination. Uh, and the Bible absolutely turned in uh, two cities, turned two cities uh, into a uh, charcoal broquette over that very thing. God didn't create Adam and Steve. God created Adam and Eve. And well, on that, let me go ahead and say this. You realize that that is behavior, and I want to be careful because I realize I'm in a mixed crowd, but you realize that is behavior that's below barnyard behavior. You do know that. There's no such thing as a queer goat. There's no such thing as a queer chicken. Uh, there's no such thing uh, as uh, a queer, uh, I don't know, cow. It is below barnyard behavior. This country that I love, I, I don't want it to be known for, for homosexuality. I want it to be known for holiness. This land that I love, I don't want it to be known for drugs. I, I want it to be known for deliverance. This land that I love, I, I don't want it to be known for empty fundamental churches, but extremely full fundamental churches. Friend, you and I ought to know that my personal grounds for heaven granting a significant spiritual awakening is I want my great country to sense it. The Bible says in James 4, 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Here's what I love about that promise. God's step and span 
is greater than mine. In other words, if I were to bring up a little boy to the platform tonight and say, take a step, I promise you, however far that step was, I believe I could outstep him. At 58 years of age, pressing in on 59, and uh, uh, with uh, a little bit of uh, a back problem, but, but I think, I, I, I could be wrong, but I think for the Caldwell, if I brought up any little boy on this platform and said, take a step, I think I could outstep him. I'm older than he is. And friend, God has never had a birthday, and God will never have a day to death, and he's been long longer than all of us put together, and his span is greater than any man. His step is greater than any man. And James says, draw nigh to God, and I'll draw nigh to you. You know what that means, sis? That means when we just start to head towards God, God overtakes us. That means we just begin to head in God's direction. We never really, uh, Brother Youth Director, get to God because God gets to us before we can ever get to Him. If Christians in this country were to even, Brother Caldwell, take a half a step in His direction, the tremendous effects of his presence would be felt, I believe, in every state of our union, literally from border to border and shore to shore. Selah, muse on that for a moment. I'm closing with this. On March 6, 1799, President John Adams, second president, called for a national day of fasting and prayer for America, our second president. He said, I quote, to call to mind our numerous offenses against the most high God. Confess them before him with the sincerest penance, implore his pardon, pardoning mercy through the great mediator and redeemer for our past transgressions and that through the grace of the Holy Spirit we may be disposed and enabled to yield a more suitable obedience to his righteous requisitions in time to come. Now that, that wasn't a preacher that said that. That, that. that wasn't an evangelist that said that. That's not something that, that came off the pages of the sword of the Lord. That was our second president uh, uh, there, uh, uh, John Adams, who said that. And presidents uh, in the 1700s knew what people in the 21st century need to know. And that is this country is only great because of God. And it's only revival that will get us back to God. I want my great country. To sense it. And we have seen from the pages of the Bible tonight why I personally want a sizable spiritual awakening in my lifetime. I hope and pray that now my reasons are every believer's in this <coughs> in this service reasons, and may we all of us, may we all of us pray uh, and, and petition uh, and plead with God. Send us a revival. Five reasons. I want far-reaching revival. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.